I'm out of time. But I feel like the Lord just prompted me to come up here. I want us to remain standing. We're going to go right back into worship. But I just felt the Lord impress on me. I was actually standing over here a minute ago. And the Lord showed me something that sent me back to my office because I needed to do something. I want to impress upon us that our giving is worship and our giving is praise to God. The thoughts that I had came out this morning. I was going over some notes in my office, doing some things, and I just happened to pick up my phone and I happened to open up my Facebook app and I saw a picture. It was posted by a, a long, long friend of mine who is the head steward in the church where I grew up in for about 35 years. His name's Jerome Shaw. And he posted a picture of the man who was my pastor for about 35 years. His name's Steve Fender. It's my mom's brother, actually. He's my pastor. And I saw him, and the man hasn't changed. My cousin's become the pastor of that church, and he preaches in the main service, which is at 11 o'clock, but my uncle still preaches every morning at, 11, at 9 o'clock. And he hasn't changed. And my cousin's gone to like t-shirts and blue jeans. You know, totally changed. But my uncle still shows up every Sunday morning in his suit and preaches. So he had his suit, his tie, and his, his black gator boots on. He's a cowboy. He's a real cowboy. Here's the real deal, actually. He's been a horseman and a cattleman his entire life. But I was just standing there thinking about the example of that man in his life. Just his faithfulness to the Lord. He's put that suit on for nearly 60 years every Sunday and gone to preach the gospel. He's a man who, when he went on vacation, he would fly home every Saturday to be home in the pulpit on Sunday. Never missed church, unless he was away preaching at another church. He was always in church on Sunday morning. That man lived such a lifestyle. My grandpa was a lot to do with that. I remember my grandpa told, my uncle actually told the story of my grandpa. My grandpa had been an evangelist for years, and he traveled all over the United States preaching. And he came home to southern Illinois to my grandpa's house to spend some downtime. And on Sunday morning, he decided he was going to sleep in. My grandpa knocked on the door and said, Steve, time to get up, time to go to church. And he just fluffed the pillow and turned over and went, tried to go back to sleep. A few minutes later, my grandpa knocked on the door again and said, it's time to go to church. Third time, my grandpa knocks on the door, opens it, said, Steve, it's time for church. He said, Dad, I'm going to stay home today. He said, not if you're sleeping in my house, you're not. You're going to get up and go to church. Now, my, my uncle's a grown man at this point, married man. You're going to get up and go to church. And he ended up going to church that morning, and the, the pastor approached him, said, I want you to preach this morning. And he said, oh, I'm trying to get some time off. I don't know. He said, I feel like the Lord wants you to preach. He preached that, that Sunday morning, and a revival broke out. Hundreds of people came that week. They had church all week long, and hundreds of people came and got saved that week. And he said, I learned an important lesson just about being faithful to the house of the Lord that Sunday. Amen. So, a lot of people think that preachers talk about money a lot. Some of y'all think that, and y'all have never been around my uncle. My uncle took at least two offerings every Sunday. Sometimes three. In fact, I think there was a time when he took four offerings on a Sunday morning for different things. He took a lot of offerings. But I'll tell you something about him. Every single time the offering plate went by, every single time, he put something in it. He gave an offering to the Lord. I watched it. I watched it. I've been around that man since I was five years old. And I remember some of those, he, he's, a, he's been a rancher. I remember some of those old ranches back in the early 1980s when we, for all our family had just moved to San Antonio. Those ranches were held together with baling wire. 
I remember one time we had this makeshift siphon thing that he created to be able to water the horses. It was just duct tape and belling wire and everything held together to make it work. And I watched that man for 40 plus years and I watched his walk with the Lord and I watched the Lord bless him. Fast forward today, multi-millionaire. He's owned, I've known him at times to own four or five different ranches, properties. That's his hard work. He's always been the largest giver in his church that he pastors. But he set an example of giving. He didn't boast about it, didn't brag about it. He just did it week in and week out. And he raised up a church of givers. Poor people, but they built a mighty church. That church today sits, you, you drive from Austin, Texas into San Antonio, Texas, and when you come down 35, right there on the hill, on the side of the interstate, 40 acres with, I don't know, I think there's a dozen buildings that the church has built over the years. Sanctuaries and gyms and fellowship halls, and now the new sanctuary that seats over 4,500 people. Walking with God. Been faithful to God. It's taking a little bit of time here, but I just think it's important. Back in 2013, that same uncle was out at the ranch. He was in a, in a pen riding a stallion, a young quarter horse stallion. There was a rattlesnake in the pen that he didn't see. But when the horse saw it, that horse reared up. He slid off the back of that horse, and the horse backed up over him and trampled him. Broke his hip, hips, his back. The doctor said he was going to die. He had, a, he had a crawl to his car. Call it, get his phone, call his, his secretary to come and get him and take him to the hospital. They ended up in Carn City, Texas, airlift him into San Antonio, SAMC, which is a major medical, uh, military medical base. They said he was going to die there. You know, a couple years later, he got on a horse. He's riding horses like nothing ever happened today. He stood in the pulpit this morning at 9 o'clock in San Antonio, Texas and preached the gospel. What I'm saying is that that man to me, there's an example that I watched of a giver. And I watched the contagiousness of that spread to a church and a bunch of poor people in San Antonio, Texas. Bought 40 acres, built a dozen buildings, built a 4,500 seat auditorium. And as I look at that, I don't look at man, I don't. But I look at a people, not, not just that pastor, that uncle of mine, but a people who were generous and the praise that went up to God because of that. Our giving is an offering, a praise, a sacrifice. I want us to see that. I want us to understand that. I know a lot of us give online, but let me encourage you to give, just to make it a practice of giving. Amen? You know, when we look like Jesus, there's a lot of times and a lot of things that we do when people can see Jesus in us, but when we give, people see Jesus. That uncle of mine was very imperfect. I knew him very well. He mentored me as a pastor. I worked for him at his ranch. He was an uncle to me. I saw him at Christmas. He was just as flawed as I am. But he left a marvelous impression on me because of the life that he lived. Amen? We need to show that to this world. We need to show our, our children and grandchildren need to see us give. It's important. It's a praise to God. God is glorified when we give. We need to understand that. I hope that leaves a mark upon you today. We're, we're not done worshiping. We're going to continue to worship. I want to ask our ushers to come. I'm going to give us an opportunity to pass these plates. But let's continue to worship. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your mercy towards us. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your kindness. I thank you for your generosity. Father, I pray that you would make us givers, everyone, Lord God, that everywhere that we go, Lord, we would be known as a generous people. We are your people, and you are a generous God. And Father, we want to re represent you well. So help us to do that, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you give. Amen. How many of you, God's been good to you? Well, come on. How many of you know the goodness of God? You know what it's talking about. He's been good. Every day he gets better, right? Somebody said he gets gooder and gooder.
Amen. He gets gooder all the time. Amen. God is good. Praise God. Amen. I'm missing a pulpit. I know they were going to bring it. Noah, can you bring me a pulpit? Can you bring me a pulpit? I think they left it downstairs. I sent them before church to get it. I think they forgot me. We're going to get into the word of the Lord. I can preach without a pulpit. We're going to talk about an occupied house this morning. Amen. Praise God. We talked a little bit about foundations. Once you build the house, what's in it? What's in your house? What's, what's, what's dwelling in your house? What's dwelling in this temple? Amen. Let's look at Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. Thank you, Scotty. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12. We're going to begin to read in verse 43. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 43. This is Jesus, and he says, when, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeking rest, and finds none. And then he says, I will return to my house from which I came, and when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Now, this is a man that the spirit is driven out of. The Bible says he returns to a house, which is that man, and he finds it empty, swept, and put in order, and he goes and takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it also be with this wicked generation. I'm going to use a little bit of liberty here, a little allegorical liberty. This could be a real, really good picture for us of religion. Can, religion can empty a lot of stuff out. It can clean a lot of stuff up. It can put a lot of stuff in order. But it also can leave you worse than you started. Amen. Right? What's in the house? What's in the house? When the devil shows back up, is there a strong man in the house? Right? Amen. To defend the house. Jesus also said that when a thief goes in to break into a house, he's got to what? Bind the strong man, right? A robber, a thief, when he goes into a house, if there's an armed man, he wants to take him out and tie him up so he can rob the house, right? Is your house occupied? Or is your house empty? Think about it. Renovation can only go so far. Remodeling, reformation, it only does so much. How many of you have ever seen a house that got remodeled that shouldn't have been remodeled because it had a faulty foundation, because the framing was rotten, the electrical work needed to be ripped out, the plumbing was faulty, but they put paint over it and sold it, right? That's what a religion will do for a lot of us. King David built a crooked house. It looked good, but he was a wreck. He was a, he was a murderer. He was an adulterer. And when the man of God came to him and brought the plumb bob, y'all remember the plumb bob from last week? Remember the line, the plummet line? Tell whether or not your house is straight or not. When the prophet came with the plumb bob, he said, David, your house is crooked. Right? He finds David in this, this place of sin, having uh, slept with, with this, this woman and, and, and murdered her husband. And the prophet comes to him and brings the word of God to him, a word of correction. And then we see David write the 51st Psalm. And in that Psalm, we're all familiar with it, right? Create in me what? A clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. I, I want to say this to you. When, when David uttered those words, he wasn't asking for a remodel. He said, when, that, when he says that word create, it is the word barach, which is also ex nihilio, which means to create out of, out of nothing, like start over. 
because the, the, the wreckage of my life just, just needs to be thrown in the dumpster. Start all over. Create in me a clean heart. Like rip this nasty, filthy, vile, corrupt heart out of my chest and give me a new one. That's the plea of David here. And then he says, renew a right spirit within me. That word within me, when you look at it in the Hebrew, it, it's the nearest part of me. It's the deepest, innermost part in me. Put your spirit within me. Right? Don't, don't just remodel the house. Don't, don't just build a new house, God. Put your spirit within me. It's his plea and his cry. Church, I'm, I'm going to preach for the next several minutes about the Holy Ghost. Is that all right? About the whole, and maybe that's scary for some of y'all, you know, ghosts, a little spooky. How about the Holy Spirit? Whichever term you like, I'm going to preach about it. Right? I'm going to preach about the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. Too many Christians in need of the Holy Spirit. Too many churches in need of the Holy Spirit. We are empty houses that need to be filled with the Spirit of God. So we're going to talk about it. I'm going to make a case today for the necessity of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. Amen. We need to be a Spirit-filled people. Amen. A people who are baptized in the Spirit of God. I want to start with a quote from A.W. Tozer, a great man of God who went to be with the Lord about a half century ago. But he said this, he said, the spirit life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. Like, the Holy Ghost people aren't some super saints. All saints are supposed to be Holy Ghost people, is what he's saying here. The spiritual life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. It is part and parcel of the total plan of God for his people. And to that statement, I say yes and amen. I wholeheartedly agree with that statement from Tozer. I wholeheartedly embrace that idea from Tozer, that all Christians are supposed to be spirit-filled believers, that the Spirit of God is supposed to indwell us as the people of God. It was the mission of Jesus toward the believer to fill them, to baptize them with the Spirit of God. That was his plan. That was his purpose. And I'm going I'm to make that case. You know that in, in four Gospels, Jesus it's declared of him that he's come to baptize in the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, I indeed baptize you. This is John as he's making preparation for the coming of the Messiah. He says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but one who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now that's Matthew's account. Do you know it's also made in the Gospel of Mark, in Mark chapter 1, verse 7 and 8? Same, same record is given there. In John uh, chapter 1, verse 33 and 34, in Luke, it's also there. For some reason, I didn't put the, the address in my notes, but it's also recorded in Luke's Gospel. Not only that, it's also recorded in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 5. Same words that, that, that John baptized with water, but Jesus would come and baptize in the Holy Ghost. It's also recorded in Acts chapter 11, verse 16, the exact same words, right? Jesus, his mission towards the believer was to baptize them in the Holy Spirit. Let's define baptize. Let's use my favorite definition as, as our point of reference today, and it is to be pickled. Right? There, there's a lot of Hebrew words, and that's not one of the, the, the Hebrew pictures, uh, Hebrew and Greek words for the word baptism. And they paint all kinds of pictures to submerge, to dye a garment. But my favorite from American culture is to pickle. To be baptized is to be pickled in something. If we baptize you in vinegar, you're going to smell like vinegar. It's going to be in your, in your shirt, your socks, your underwear, in, in your ears, in your nose. It's going to be in every part of you, right? That's the picture of baptism. When you dunk that cucumber in that vinegar, it takes on, and you put in the dill and the spices, it takes on the flavor of that vinegar and those spices and every bite of that pickle. It tastes like vinegar and dill, correct? Right, so here's our definition of baptized. You have been pickled in Jesus, and when somebody takes a bite out of you, you taste like Jesus. So there's our working definition this morning of baptism. We need to get baptized in the Holy Ghost. Amen? Which is the Spirit of Christ. It's the Spirit of Jesus. We need to be pickled in Jesus. So there's our working definition. It was Jesus' purpose. In the Gospel of John, chapter 7, 
At, at, at the, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood in, in verse 37, it says, John 7, 37, he cried saying, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. In verse 39, it says that he's, he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the whole, did you see that? Whom those believing in him would receive. Everybody say receive. receive. Lift your hands to heaven. Say, Lord, Lord. I'm, a I'm a receiver. I want to receive what you have for me. All of it. I won't refuse any of it. I won't refuse your word. I won't refuse your spirit. If you want me to have it, I want it. Shouldn't that just be the attitude of every Christian, every follower of Christ? If Jesus wants us to have it, we want to receive it. Why are we so reluctant to receive the things that Jesus says is ours? Well, do I have to speak in tongues? Do I have to prophesy? Do I have to do that? I want to receive all that God has for me. Amen? If, if, if God has made provision for it in my life, if, if he's given me access to it, I want it. I don't want to lack. Amen? The Bible talks about the supply of the Spirit. I want access to the supply of the Spirit of God. Amen? Right? I mean, how, how many of you would like to have your own checkbook out of Bill Gates' bank account? None of us would refuse it. Right? We have access to the supply from heaven, and we refuse it. We choose to settle for crumbs. We, we choose to live with pauper's mentalities. We, we choose to be in lack. We, we choose to rely on our flesh, on our own capabilities, on our own intellect, on our own abilities, on our own gifts. And we have access to the Spirit of God. He said, now this statement, he who believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Verse 39, this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. The Holy Spirit hadn't come yet because Jesus hadn't been glorified. We'll see that here in, in some coming verses. So I'm going to make a four-point case here. I'm going to make the case from the New Testament. I'm going to make the case from the Old Testament. I'm going to make the, the, case, the case from from history and in our culture, and I'm gonna make the case from my own experience. We need the baptism of the Holy Ghost. In the New Testament, it's everywhere. Amen? If you don't understand that, you need to read your Bible. It is everywhere. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse three, that no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. I believe that literally means that you cannot be born again. You cannot, how do we, it, it's, it's a belief. There's a, sa a saving faith. It's coming to belief that Jesus is Lord that saves us. And the Holy Spirit comes to us in that. None of us can say Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Amen. Except by the Holy Spirit. Carnal men cannot receive the things of God. That's what it says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We can't. We can't discern the mind of God in our carnal minds. We can't hear the voice of God with carnal ears. We, we cannot receive the things of God in our flesh. The only way we can receive the things of God is by, the Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 2, by the Spirit of God. There is a message that comes from God. There are all kinds of things, downloads that come from God, and we cannot decipher them. We cannot receive them. We cannot discern them or understand them without this decoder, which is the Holy Spirit that God puts in us. That's what Romans, or 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says. It's also what Romans chapter 8 says, verse, verse 26. It says that none of us know how we ought to pray. How many of you pray in English? Hopefully all of you. How many of you pray in Spanish? Some of you. Well, when we pray in our own understanding, in our natural language, there are things 
about the will of God, the purpose of God, the heart of God, then in our finite minds, in our limited languages, in our human understanding, we can't, cannot comprehend. This is what Romans 8.26 tells us. So we pray with groanings and utterances. We understand what is this tongues thing that, we, that we, we see or hear about. There's so much controversy. It shouldn't be a controversial thing. Amen. There's so much controversy around it, church culture. What is this? There, there's a language. I, I believe this. According to Scripture, I believe there are, 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 there's, there's two different, when it talks about tongues, there's two different things we're talking about. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. Though I pray with the tongues of men and the tongues of angels. There are human languages and there are heavenly languages. Amen. There are the languages of men, the languages of angels. And I believe that tongues are, are, are those things. I, in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit fell upon them, they spoke in the, in the tongues of men. They were glorifying God. Everyone in their own language heard the praises of God because God had given them a gift of tongues, which was the, the languages of men. Even though they never had learned or studied those languages, they were declaring the glories of God in those languages. But it talks about in Romans 8, a language, an utterance that is not earthly, that is not human. And it says, when we pray this way, when we pray in the Holy Ghost, Jesus said we should build ourselves up in our most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, praying in the Spirit, right? Amen. And it says, when we pray in this, these, these groanings and utterances that we don't even understand, the Holy Spirit himself makes intercession for us. It's the Holy Spirit of God praying for us. This is the gift for all believers. This is the joy that we get to experience as believers. That we have a supernatural language that we can pray in and we can receive supernatural things and discern by the Spirit the things of God. Amen? Amen? This is what the Bible teaches. Galatians 4 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Right? John, John um, uh, and, and, sorry, go, let's go back. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse, uh, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 12 and, and cha through chapter 14, it, it talks about the gifts of the Spirit. Right, Romans 12 also talks about the gifts of the Spirit. I'm making a point here. All throughout the New Testament, it's talking about life in the Spirit. We are a people of the Spirit. The whole book of Romans, the whole point of the book of Romans is the fall of man and the plan of God to redeem him that he might put his Spirit in him. That's where we get to that eighth chapter in Romans, that, hey, we're no longer under the control of our flesh, but we are under the control of the Spirit of God, and those who are the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. Right? Then it talks about justification, which is, is by the Spirit. It talks about sanctification, which is by the Spirit. It talks about glorification, which is by the Spirit. The whole thing is describing the, the operation in, of, of God's Spirit in the redemption of mankind. Think about it. That's what pictures painted for us in Romans. In John chapter 3, Jesus makes a, a very powerful statement. He says, unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. What is Jesus talking about? Second birth. You're, you're not saved because you shake a preacher's hands. You're not saved because your name is on attendance rolls. You're not saved just because you have recited some sinner's prayer. If you have not been born again, you are not saved. Amen. You must be regenerated. You must be reborn. You must experience second birth. How does that happen? It is the operation of the Spirit of God doing what David's calling for in Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me. Pointing towards new birth. We're not saved without new birth. John, uh, Jesus in, in John chapter 3 is talking to a man named Nicodemus, who, who is a, a, a leader of, of, of the, religious, uh, the, the, the religious Jews. He's a leader there. And, and he's, he's saying to him, look, you, you don't understand the simple things of God. You're claiming to be a leader, but you don't understand the simple things of God. You've got to be born again, and if, if not, you will not see the kingdom of God. And, and Nicodemus' response, how in the world can I be born again? Must I enter again into my mother's womb and be born a second time? And he says, hold on, Nick. That's not what I'm talking about. Unless you are born of the water and the spirit, you're not going to see the kingdom. 
And he gives explanation. A lot of people talk about water as being baptism in water. I don't think that's what it is. Jesus, in context, gives an explanation what it means to be born of the water. He says, that which is of the flesh is flesh. That which is of the spirit is spirit. You must be born again. Being born of the water, it's speaking, I believe, of being born through the womb, the breaking of the water, natural birth, spirit baptism, by one spirit, Ephesians says, right, we are baptized into one body, right? This is salvation. It's the baptism of the spirit. When we are saved, we are baptized in God's spirit. When we are truly saved, we are baptized in the spirit of God. This is what Jesus is saying here. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. The, the wind blows and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit of God. We have to be born of the spirit of God. Amen? In Acts chapter two, so I'm talking about a New Testament case for the necessity of the baptism of the spirit in every believer. Acts chapter two. Day of Pentecost comes. The men spill out of the upper room as it's recorded in, in history. Not so much, you don't, you don't even see that necessarily in the scriptures. But they say these men fall out and they're speaking in, this, in these languages. And, and men hear them in their tongue. There are men that have gathered for this feast from all different nations, Jews from all different nations, who have learned all of these languages of these nations. And when they come back to Jerusalem, they see these men fall out of this upper room speaking in tongues, and they hear those men declaring the gospel, proclaiming the glories of God in their own languages. And they, they see this, and Peter begins to preach. And they, they ask the question, what, what do we have to do to be saved? Right, and it comes down to Acts chapter two, verse 38. It says, you must repent, be baptized, every single one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Read on. For this promise is to you, to your children. And it ends there, because then we're gonna get the canon of scriptures and all the apostles are gonna die. And so you won't need the Holy Spirit anymore. Is that what it says? Absolutely not. Yet that's what they're teaching in seminaries all across the nation. Cemeteries. Because what the scripture says, the promise is to you, the promise of the Holy Spirit is to you, to your children, and as many as are, as are far off, as many, to all that are as far off, as many as our Lord, the Lord our God shall call. That is who the Spirit of God, everyone who God calls the Spirit, the promise of the Spirit is available to them. That's the promise of Scripture. That's New Testament. Let's go to the Old Testament because I want you to see that this was God's plan from the beginning. And I'm not going could, to, I could take you to dozens of passages. I just want to take you to a couple of them that, that allude to this glorious promise of the coming of God's Spirit. I could take you to Joel chapter 2, verse 28. I will pour my Spirit out on all flesh. I could take you there. We're not going to do that. Let's, let's look at Ezekiel. There's dozens of them. I'm just going to give you a few. Let's look at Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. This is the promise of, of the, the, the coming covenant through the blood of Jesus Christ. Right? He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of, uh, give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them all. And then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. That, that last part of it is still yet to be fulfilled. I believe that. I believe God's people in his kingdom are going to inherit the land that he promised to them. The Jews, speaking of the Jews, I believe that. This is pointing to the promise of the Spirit. As I said, I see it in Joel chapter 2, the promise of the Spirit. I see it in Isaiah when it talks about the stammering lips in another tongue. I see it there. I see it in, 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 this, in the 18th Psalm where David talks about my, 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 my tongue rejoices. It's quoted in Acts chapter 2, verse 26, actually by Peter in that sermon on the day of Pentecost. He quotes this passage from Psalm 18 of David. 
Theologians, many theologians believe this, that when David said, my tongue rejoices, and, 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 and this is the way, if you go back and study in the, in the Hebrew, in, in uh, Psalm 18, when he says, my tongue rejoices, the word there is actually leaps or twists. Think about a leaping, twisting tongue. I'm, I'm sorry, that, that uh, spinning and twisting, that's Psalm 18, and, and Acts Chapter 2, verse 26, the word used there is to leap with joy. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The stammering tongue, another lip. It's what we, we, we see all throughout scriptures, this, this, this groanings and utterances, things that we can't, it's this, this thing of the tongue. It's a whole other sermon. We could, we, I could do a week's worth of sermons on the tongue. But it's in there. There, there are pastors and theologians today, they want to relegate this experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit to some small cult, to some small, isolated group of weirdos. That's the way it's preached in a lot of churches, that, that if any, anybody who speaks in tongues, anybody who prophesies, anybody who believes in that nonsense, anybody who believes that God's still powerful enough to heal, they're, they're, they're ignorant and unlearned. They haven't studied as we have studied. They don't have as many doctorates by their name. That's the way it's, it's, it's preached that way, hatefully. I, I know of one man that said that anybody who speaks in tongues is demon-possessed. Lord, have mercy. That's what some people would preach and try to propose, is that it's some small group of weirdos that believe in this stuff. Do research. Go, go look. You can find it online, statistics, research studies. I, I did some. 644 million people alive on planet Earth today have had a charismatic or Pentecostal experience. Think about that. Eight, eight billion people, almost an eighth, but about a tenth, roughly one-tenth of the people have had some kind of an experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit on planet Earth today. Right? Let's talk about culture. We're seeing some tremendous things. I saw this, this past year, 22, I saw a man named Max Licato. Anybody ever heard that? One of the most prolific Christian authors in our, in our generation who, who said in an open Facebook post, I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and now daily I practice speaking in tongues. Praise God. Praise God for that. I listened to John MacArthur, a Presbyterian, with wide influence in the Presbyterian movement. Calvinist. I watched him this week in the video, a 14-minute defense of the necessity of the baptism of the Holy Spirit for the believer. Praise God. I thank God for men like Dr. Sam Storms, a, a, a doctoral uh, uh, lecturer who's taught at, at Moody and, and many other different Bible colleges, very prestigious, very educated man who denied for over a dozen years of his ministry the baptism of the Holy Spirit and had an undeniable encounter of God that absolutely flipped his world upside down. And now he's writing books on it, and he's leading people in the Baptist movement into the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. I thank God for, for men like Jack Deere, another uh, dear Baptist brother who was taught, he said, I was taught in seminary that, that God doesn't heal anymore, so I never prayed for anybody to get healed. And now Jack Deere lays hands on people every week and sees the miracles of God by the power of his, and you know that that's a gift of the Spirit. Healings is a gift of the Spirit. Amen? The gift of healings. It is the gift of the Holy Spirit of God. This is, I believe, as Tozer said, normal Christian life. Weird to the world, absolutely, but normal to us as believers. I believe this was God's plan all alone, all along. If you, if you hear the sermon that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 29, I want to read an excerpt of that message. He says, Dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for he died and was buried, and his tomb 
is still here among us. And what he's doing here is he's quoting David and preaching about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. He quotes David and said David wasn't talking about himself. He was talking about the Messiah who was going to come, who would be uh, dead, buried, and resurrected. In verse 30, he goes on, he says, But he was a prophet, and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of, his, one of David's own descendants would sit upon his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. See, David wasn't speaking about himself. He was prophesying about our Messiah. Verse 32, God raised Jesus from the dead. He is preaching the gospel here, right? And we are all witnesses of this. And now, verse 33, he is exalted to the place of highest honor in the heaven, at God's right hand. And the Father, as he promised, gave Jesus the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. Go back to Jesus' words in John, standing up on the great day of the feast. If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. For out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. This he spoke of the spirit which was not yet given because he was not yet glorified. He hadn't gone to the cross and died yet. He hadn't been buried in the ground yet. He hadn't risen up on the third day yet. He hadn't ascended to the right head of the Father to be glorified yet. Right? Touch me not. I've not yet ascended. I have not yet been glorified. Don't touch me. As he ascended to the right hand of the Father and is glorified. And the Father gives to Jesus the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says he ascended on high and now he's giving gifts to men. Ephesians chapter 4. This was God's plan from the beginning. Clearly laid out in the gospel. This was God's plan. So I've, I've made to you a case from the New Testament, a case from the Old Testament, a case from history, a case from Peter's sermon. Let me, let me make my case. You will never, ever convince me that the power of God's Spirit is not real Amen. and available in me, in his church, working gloriously, working powerfully, powerfully on planet Earth today through his people, just as he did through 28 chapters in the book of Acts. He is still the Holy Spirit working with his church, doing many miracle signs, and when the, with the preaching of the gospel, miracles, signs, wonders following. And you'll never convince me any different. You weren't with me 25 years ago when I was in Portales, New Mexico, and we drove through the barrios of Portales, New Mexico with a, with a church van, a church bus, and we picked up kids whose brothers and sisters were gangbangers, kids who had no shoes, kids with ripped clothes, and we took them to church, kids covered in dirt, and we took them to church, and we packed them into a, a little church. That, that entire church building would fit in this sanctuary. And we packed those kids in there, and there was an evangelist who came, and he did tricks with ropes. He cut them in half and tied a knot and pulled it, and there was no more cut in it. He had a Bible that he would open up, and a flame would pop out of the top. And he showed these, these tricks to these kids, and out of these, these little illustrations, preached the gospel of Jesus. Then he told the story about a bully that used to come and beat him up on the playground. And then he talked about the bully who was the devil and how Jesus came to stand for his people. And then he took an altar call, and I saw every kid in that building cram into the little altar. And I saw as that, that team in that church began to go and lay hands on those kids, I saw this little probably six-year-old Hispanic girl, stand up on a prayer bench in that altar, lift her hands to heaven, tears going down, leaving streams through the dust on her cheek. And I looked and I saw this little girl's tongue leaping for joy, twisting. A six-year-old girl, not, not because she had been coached, not because there was somebody behind her saying, shama, 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 let go, let go, hold on, hold on all the Pentecostal exercises and Fruit Loop stuff that we used to do. It was not because of any of that. It was because the, she had heard the gospel of Jesus, received it in her heart, and the Spirit of God had activated something on the inside of her, and it was manifesting in her little tongue. 
That little six-year-old girl got baptized in the Holy Ghost, and it swept through that altar like, like, a, like, a, a, like a, a ripple in a pool. It began to hit those children, and they began to speak in tongues all across that building. Have you ever seen a Reinhard Bonnke crusade where he says, receive in Africa 100,000 people, receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit falls, and 100,000 Africans begin to speak in tongues? It's undeniable, the power of God. I've told the story of, 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 it's the work of the Holy Spirit through me, and I'm nothing. I, I didn't even know what was going on. I was a dumb donkey who had just preached a message and was praying for a lady in an altar, yet the Holy Spirit somehow miraculously was speaking to this, this woman who was from Iraq and spoke Farsi and didn't speak any English, only Norwegian and Farsi, and I had to speak in English to the Norwegian elder's wife who interpreted to her in, in, in Norwegian so she could understand the message. And as I began to say the word of the Lord, praying over this lady to this, this elder's wife, she began to weep. And she would say what I said to, to this Iraqi lady, and she would begin to weep. I had no idea what I was saying. But I met that, that lady, the pastor and I showed up at the church that Saturday evening before I preached that Sunday morning. It was my first time to ever be in Norway, and he took me by to show me his church in Misen, Norway. And this Iraqi lady was living in the balcony of the church. She was a refugee running because her family was wanted. If she returned to her home country, she would be murdered. And she was stuck in that church. She couldn't leave the church except for on Easter and Sunday because in Norway they have laws. They protect them from the law. A refugee on Easter and Sunday so they could get out into the community on Easter and Sunday. That woman had lived there for several years. And that Sunday morning when that elder's wife showed up before the service, that Iraqi woman went to her and she said, I, saw, I met a man last night that I've seen in my dreams. And in my dreams, this is what he said to me. She was talking about me. And she said, in my dreams, this is what he said to me. And you know, I, I preached the word that Sunday morning. That woman responded down to the altar call with that elder's wife next to her. I spoke the word of the Lord, and that elder's wife heard the very words that that lady had told her before the service. The message God gave me to give her was what she had heard in, my, in her dream. I'm going to tell you, I've been in this way, I've seen way too much of this stuff for anybody to tell me that it's not true. I could give you a story after story, story after story, nine years old, Chad Hayes, San Antonio, Texas, that uncle that I told you about was preaching. It was a Sunday night, and I walked down to an altar, and the Holy Ghost hit me. I had an encounter, I knew beyond any doubt that I had encountered Jesus. I wish I could tell you that from that day I have never sinned. I can't tell you that. My teenage years, I absolutely rebelled. I kicked and screamed and resisted God with everything in me. I remember being 20 years old and drunker, so drunk I couldn't stand up. And for some reason, I remember being a nine-year-old kid in an altar in an encounter I had with God. Three sheets to the wind. You know what I started doing? I started preaching to the security guard in the bar. I'm going to tell you, when the Holy Spirit marks you, you cannot get away from it. No matter how stupid you are. I had plenty of stupid. God got a hold of me, and I couldn't get away from it. The pull of the Holy Spirit... The working, the operation, when, when I was nine years old and that, had that encounter, that marked me to the point I have no return. Folks, we need to understand that the, the, the Bible talks about the severity of God, and that is absolutely incredible, and none of us want to endure it. But it also talks about the goodness of God. God has mercy on us, and we don't deserve it. And we see a passage in Scripture, though you make your bed in hell, I am there with you. 
That's the kind of God, love that God has for us. We act like ignorant fools and he keeps coming after us. We rebel against him and he pursues us. While we were sinners, Jesus died for us. That's the love of God. The Bible says that love is shed abroad in our hearts. How? How? By the Holy Ghost. That experience as a nine-year-old child marked me, and I could not get away from it. January 1st, 1996, it was actually December 31st, 1995, last place I wanted to go was church, and the girlfriend that I had at the time made me go. I already had plans. We were going to Bexar Bowling Alley. It was, it was a two-lane bowling alley where you could dance and drink, and I was heading there. I'd been there many years prior on New Year's. That was our, that was our normal routine. I already had plans. I already had friends to meet. And she said, no, let's go to church. Let's go to church. Church started at 10 o'clock at night. The last place somebody who likes to drink a lot wants to be is in church on Sunday. And on New Year's Eve, on New Year's Eve at 10 o'clock. And she drugged me to church. That same preacher, that same uncle, preached the gospel that I'd heard him I don't know how many times. But he preached, and it was like I'd never heard him before. And I responded to an altar call. That Wednesday night, I got baptized in the water. For 18 months, there was a battle. I tried, and I couldn't. Tried to quit. Anybody been there? Some of y'all can't quit lying. Some of you can't quit looking. Some of you can't quit cussing. What is it? We all have stuff where God's working on us. I still got stuff God's working on. I quit alcohol, but there's still other stuff. Thank God for an uncle, for a youth pastor, for a Sunday school superintendent. Showed up drunk hungover on a Sunday morning. Went to the Sunday school superintendent. I was late. I was supposed to be there. I forgot the time, but I was supposed to be there to teach. I thank God for the love of a superintendent that disciplined me and loved me. Said, go talk to our pastor. And a pastor that disciplined me and loved me. And showed me that graciousness of God, the kindness of God, the love of God. Didn't kick me out of the church. We had, we had a young man come here. This young man right today, he is in a one-year rehab program. He called me about a month or two back. He said, I know I haven't been to church in a while. I just want you to know I'm checking into a one-year program. I'll see you in a year. Amen. Amen. I pray for him. I do. I pray for him. Now, he's been coming most of my time here, two, two and a half years, two years probably that he's been coming. He didn't come very faithfully. But I remember one, one Sunday morning he said, Pastor, can I talk to you for a couple minutes? And I said, sure. And he said, I want you to know I've got a problem. I'm going to be honest. I've got a problem. I'm trying to quit, but I can't. I've got a problem. I said, Okay. Let me, let me pray with you. I prayed with him. And he said, Pastor, can I come back to church? And I said, what do you mean, can you come back to church? He said, can I come back to church? Absolutely. What if I, if, what if I get drunk and get, keep coming? I said, man, where's this coming from? He said, well, I, I, I was kicked out of the last church I went to because I kept getting drunk. Really? Wow. Listen, have you got a problem? Keep coming. Don't matter what it is. Keep coming. Hey, and you don't have to hide it from me. It cracks me up. I worked construction for years, and everybody knew. And here, you, want, you, want, you want to walk right. Here, let me give you some help. Tell everybody everywhere you go from the first day you meet them that you are a believer. You are a follower of Jesus, and then you have instant accountability. That's the way you do it. But I remember being, everybody knew who I was. Everybody knew, 
knew I was the preacher. They call you preach, they call you rev. And it cracks me up. You're on the job site. They, they, they're, they're, I mean, just normal conversation for them. Beep, beep, beep. Right? Oh, sorry, Rev. Sorry, Rev. Hey, why are you apologizing to me, man? Somebody else you ought to be worried about, not me. Right? Cracks me up. You don't have to be perfect for the preacher. Confession. And we don't believe in the Catholic kind of confession. Let me just say that. But we believe in confession. Confess your faults. One to another. Healing. Forgiveness. Relief. Deliverance. It comes through confession. Keep coming. I believe Adam and Eve made it, and I'm way off my, my, way off my script. But I'm feeling it. Adam and Eve made a big mistake in the garden. Bigger than, bigger than eating the apple. You know what it was? They hid from God. If you've taken a bite out of the apple, you know what you need to do? When you hear God coming, Abe, hey, Abe, where are you? Right here, God. And I, I really messed it up. Hey, hey, Bill, where, where are you? Right here. And I, I man, I, I made a big one. When you mess up, Run to God. Don't hide from God. Run to him. Run to him. Amen? He will, he, the Bible says in no way will he refuse you. In no way will he refuse you. If we repent of our sins, he will forgive us. Amen? He will. So back to my story after that long rabbit trail. My pastor was gracious, patient. The leadership of my church, Daniel Spangler our, Spangler, our youth pastor, patient, kind. They demonstrated what God looks like to me with their patience and their kindness, their long-suffering. They gave me an opportunity in the summer of 1997, 18 months after that New Year's, when I walked down to the altar, 18 months of falling, 18 months of mess-ups. I didn't fall into sin, I leapt into it. None of us fell into it, we, we chose it. I went after it for 18 months. I was trying to go after Jesus, couldn't quit going after it. My pastor let me take the youth, as a, our youth pastor was there, I went as a, as a chaperone and a counselor. First night of camp, I remember who was preaching, Philip Baker. I still see him preaching today. Philip Baker was preaching that night, and he got up and he said, there are people here, you've never had the baptism of the, the Holy Spirit. There's, there's 1,200 kids and all kinds of youth workers in the building. Some of you have never had the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You need to come down here right now. God's going to fill you. Probably 400 people came down. <laughs> Move of God. I stood back in my seat, and he, he said, all right, there's still some people that need to come down here. Some of y'all have been filled with the Holy Spirit, but you ain't full no more. Remember when David Cook was here? This is going back to 2020. David Cook was here. He preached a message about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and he talks about where it says in Ephesians, don't be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Ghost. That, that word, it's the, the, the and I, I'm not real good with grammar and Hebrew and all that kind of Greek, all that, but that word to be filled, it, it's ongoing, it's a continuing. Be being filled with the Holy Ghost. I listened to John Piper this week talk about the necessity of the believer to be refilled, refreshed, renewed, quoting Martin Lloyd-Jones, Church of England, Westminster Abbey, about being refilled. We need to be refilled. Amen. David Cook preached that. You know why we need to be refilled? David Cook told us because we leak. You're a crack pot and it leaks out of you. 
Look at your neighbor and say you're a crackpot. Wait, don't do that if it's your wife or your. <laughs> we leak. We need to be refilled. And Philip Baker said, some of y'all need to be refilled. You've been baptized in the Holy Spirit before. You need to be refilled. And so I walked with the second group, and it was over. For three hours, God did business with me. He turned me inside out. And I didn't come out of there perfect, but I did walk out of there free. I'll tell you the truth. I got drunk once since then. Don't tell David Cook this, okay? I was a freshman in Bible college. <laughs> Last time I got drunk. I don't know how this turned into this message, but this ended up being a message of mercy and grace and confession. That three-hour encounter with the Holy Spirit of God transformed me. Alcohol no longer has a hold on me. A lot of things. Tobacco. I was a smoker up to that point. Haven't smoked a cigarette since. And I tried for 18 months to quit. All of it. Couldn't quit. None of it. The Holy Ghost did it. The power of God's Spirit, church, what I'm trying to tell you is real. The goodness of God, the love of God, the grace of God, this thing, this book from cover to cover is real. This book from cover to cover, all of it is available to us. Don't let some preacher preach you out of it, talk you out of it. Everything in the book is for us. God wouldn't have put it in there if it weren't. We need to receive everything that God has for us. I believe that the church is operating an empty house without, you look at the church in general, working without the power of the God's Spirit. Tozer said this, and Tozer died 50 years ago. He says, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. The Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament. If, if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what happened would have stopped and everybody would know the difference. I believe that to be true. Leonard Ravenhill said this. He said, the church that is man-managed instead of God-governed is doomed to failure. A, man, a ministry that is college-trained but not spirit-filled works no miracles. That's Ravenhill, the great preacher, my favorite. And wrap up with this quote from Martin Luther King. He said, our scientific powerhouse has outrun our spiritual power. We have guided missiles and misguided men. Truth. The church in general is empty. We need the Holy Spirit to come back. The last thing I want is turn it into a circus. I'm not looking for all the side shows that we used to know. I'm not looking for any of that. But I am looking for a people who know what it is to walk with God, who are open 100%. Whatever it is that God has for me, I want it. I, I want to see a church where we don't just want to stand up in church on Sunday morning and prophesy so we look spiritual, but we can walk into a grocery store, see somebody in the, the produce section, and walk up to them, and without even saying, thus saith the Lord, just read their mail to them and minister the gospel to them and lead them to Jesus. You, you can prophesy without being weird. Did you know that? We can be real spiritual without being real spooky. We can be kind of natural and supernatural at the same time. I am hungry for a move of God. We've emptied stuff out. We've decorated it. We put in the fog machines and the light shows and the PowerPoint projectors and we got architecture. We got, you name it. Empty houses. Empty houses. 
Is there anybody that says, I want to be filled with the power of God's spirit? Would you stand for everybody who's hungry, for everybody who's thirsty? Come. Come and drink. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Come and drink from the Spirit of God. Come and receive all that God has for us. Some of us need to come and tarry. Some of us need to come. The Bible talks about in, in, in Acts chapter 3, verse 16, it says that we should repent. Repent. Turn back to God. Return to God. Return to God that times of refreshing might come. Lord, send refreshing. Lord, pour your spirit out upon us, Lord God. Lord, fill us full of the Holy Ghost. Fill us full of your spirit. Fill us full of your power. Come on, church. More of us have to be hungry than that. More of us have to want what God has. Come on, let's spend time and get what God has for us. Let's seek it. Let's receive it. Father, in the name of Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus.